0: Hey there, welcome to week four of our series on the book of Acts. I've loved reading through this book as we move through this series. I mean, these stories of the first church have made me realize the power of a movement. That when people believe in Jesus and take his assignment to heart, then the word of God and faith begins to permeate the culture that they are in. Now last week, Nathan told us that, that God can use even the worst day to bring about the best day that these painful moments and times of trouble can be inspiring to people to move even more and can help spread the gospel of Jesus. Now, this was the intent of Luke writing this book. He wanted people to be inspired, and he wanted to spread the eyewitness accounts of the first believers. Today, we are going to primarily be in chapter 10 of Acts. But before we get too far, I wanted to share with you the story of a guy named Saul. Last week, we heard the story of how Stephen was stoned to death. Now, at the end of that story, reread the powerful words of grace that Stephen said as he died, which was, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Now, right before this, we're told that a man named Saul led this effort. And at the beginning of the very next chapter of Acts, we read the following, and Saul approved of his execution. You see, Saul came from a very prominent and devout Jewish family, and he was a Pharisee. Now, the Pharisees were a group of Jewish people who were were dedicated to following the Hebrew law to the letter. They felt this was the true path to salvation. Often when we read the gospel of Jesus' life, we see conflicts between his teaching and the Pharisees. Now, Saul was well-educated in Jewish customs and was taught under one of the most noted rabbis of his time. And at this time in Acts, he was probably only around 30 to 40 years old. And as a result of his family heritage and upbringing, he was what we would consider a zealot, or or just someone who, who passionately is committed to his cause. And he was leading the charge against the Jews who proclaimed Jesus was the Messiah. He persecuted the new church, and he was working towards eliminating what he perceived was the cancer in the Jewish faith. Look, if you've read the Bible before, you may have heard of Saul. Because even though he was introduced as an enemy of the church, things change. As Saul was on his way to Damascus to capture, threaten, and most likely kill more Christians, Jesus showed up. Here's what it says in Acts chapter 9. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, "'Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?' And he said, "'Who are you, Lord?' And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. So here's Saul who hated Christians and Jesus shows up and tells him that he's going to go to Damascus and he's going to await instructions from the Lord. Now because of this situation, Saul is blind. And the men who are with him take him on and he waits for three days. Now at the same time this is happening, a believer by the name of Ananias was setting at home and God speaks to him as well. He says, Ananias, he's going to go to a certain place and he's going to find a man named Saul who's blinded. And, then, and this man is praying for, and God has shown a vision that Ananias is coming to heal him. Now Ananias is no dummy. He's heard of Saul. And here's what he says to the Lord. Lord, I've heard from many about this man, how much evil he's done to your saints at Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. Ananias is basically saying, no way, Lord! Hey, this guy's bad news. He's killing believers. I am not taking any chances. I mean, can't you imagine how Ananias feels? I mean, if someone is looking to do harm to me, I'm not going out of my way to knock on their door. We tend to shy away from people who are mean, hateful, or violent towards us. Well, God God answers these objections. He says, you know, go, for he has chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel for I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. God said, Don't worry about it, Ananias. i got plans for Saul. Just do what I say and make it happen. And this sets up today's big idea, which is movements move when we follow God's vision. So Ananias concedes, and he goes and finds Saul, heals him as he was told. Then Saul was baptized and began to spend time with the disciples. Now, this is a great story, and it shows the power of Jesus. What is even more amazing is that Saul would later go by a more known name, Paul. Yes, this is the Paul who wrote much of what we call the New Testament. He is the apostle of Jesus who helped found many of the churches in Philippi, Ephesus, Galatia, Corinth, Colossae, Thessalonica, and Rome. The letters he wrote to these churches and to his students and friends have become some of the powerful scripture that continues to show us God's will and the path to full life. So here's Paul with the disciples and he learns from them and he begins to go around teaching of Jesus in Damascus until other Jewish leaders and probably even other Pharisees plot to kill him. He leaves and then goes to Jerusalem where other disciples still knew his reputation as a persecutor of Christians. But they heard that his conversion story had happened. They allowed him to begin to preach the word here as well. Until again, those were who against Christians plotted to kill him and he fled again. I mean, these events really lead up to chapter 10 of Acts. I think oftentimes when we read through Scripture like this, it becomes very easy for us to, to lose sight of the time frames. We read chapter 9 about Saul being converted and, and having his moment, and then we just slide down and start reading chapter 10 like it just immediately happened. Now, this isn't the case. Saul, or Paul, was converted about three years after the death and resurrection of Jesus, but then there's like another seven or so years after that happens until we pick up in chapter 10. So this story takes place about 10 years after Jesus gave his disciples the assignment of going into all the world. Now at this point, the disciples had not really taken the gospel into all the world. Why? Because the Jewish people didn't really believe that anyone other than Jews should be saved. In the Bible, the word they used for every other person other than Jews was Gentiles. And the Gentile people were anyone who was not part of the Israelites. And to be honest with you, the Jewish people were prejudiced against the Gentiles. They thought they were unclean and unworthy of any care. If a Jewish person even happened to touch a Gentile on the street, then they would be considered unclean for the rest of the day until sundown. Now when I say unclean, it doesn't mean the same connotation as it does now. After touching these guys, they weren't like running off and trying to find a hand sanitizer bottle and pumping for all it's worth, right? No, in the Old Testament, God gave laws that were meant to keep the Israelite people safe. These rules labeled certain foods and actions as unclean. And so because the Gentiles didn't follow these rules, and they ate and did some of these things, the Jewish people believed them to be unclean. There was some serious prejudice there. Now, I know that for a lot of us, there's a recoil to the idea of prejudice. This evokes some pretty scary and unwelcome thoughts. For many of us, we're quick to answer the accusation of prejudice with a quick, well, well, I'm not like that. Or I'm against that kind of thing. If the last year showed us anything, we've learned that our world is divided on this idea of prejudice. Now, there's a camp of people who want to quickly demonize all category of people. And it's not just about race, but it could be based on background, profession, age, political party, gender, and that's just to name a few. There's another camp of people who are quick to denounce the idea of prejudice at all or hate. And they're entrenched in the idea that there's no prejudice problem. Today I want to challenge you that you might be as guilty of this as the Jews were in the time that Acts takes place. Maybe you look at someone with tattoos on their neck or face and you're quick to think they they come from a bad background or they might be addicted to drugs. Maybe you know that that one kid at school who's, who constantly seems to be getting in trouble, so you've assumed they just don't care about their education. And when they get in trouble again, you just say things like, well, that serves them right for not following the rules. Or you see the post from the single mother online about how she can't educate her kids at home and keep a job. And you think, well, that's what happens when you don't have two parents. You might be quick to place judgment on a person because of the political party they choose. You think, how can that person vote for a party who believes that stuff? Maybe it's in our prejudice towards other churches and denominations of the Christian faith. You may be quick to say other churches aren't doing the right things, giving enough money, or growing the kingdom the correct way. Maybe you're watching you don't have a lot of experience with church, and you're quick to judge those people who believe. You wonder how they could put their faith and hope in someone they've never seen in person. You might believe what other non believers say when they talk about how Christians are full of hate or they're weak willed sheep. Listen, prejudice and hate are not new things. They've been around since before Jesus came, and because of sin, they're going to continue to be around. The Jews were not immune to this issue. Even those men who were closest to Jesus, the men who were there when He gave the assignment to go into all nations, struggled with letting their prejudice stand in the way. Remember, movements move when we follow God's vision. We heard last week that the persecution the disciples had been experiencing was causing them to take action. But it still wasn't the full movement God wanted. While they were preaching the gospel, it was only nearby to people who were like them. They were standing still yet again. So for 10 years, the Gentiles, who I mentioned above, are anyone other than Jews, didn't have the gospel of Jesus Christ. And this was not the plan God had for His love. He wanted the Gentiles to be brought into relationship with Him as much as He did the Jews. And the story we're about to cover is going to tell us how this movement kept moving. Now Acts 10 starts like this. At Caesarea there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort, a devout man who feared God with all his household, gave alms generously to the people, and prayed continually to God. Now the Roman legions had approximately 6,000 men, and then they had their companies, which would be equivalent to our battalions, which were about 600 men, because there were 10 companies in a legion. And then the companies were divided down, and over hundred men, there was an officer equivalent to a master sergeant who was called a centurion because he was over one hundred men. And so this was Cornelius. Now centurions had many good qualities. They had great courage and bravery. They were commendable men. Above all else, they were highly disciplined. These guys were respected and powerful and probably seemed like they had it all together. Now, some of the Greeks and Romans, they were tired of these multiple gods that were being worshipped, and they really appreciated the Jewish approach to God. So they had placed their faith in the idea of a one true God. And this really happened because of their experiences with Israel and being surrounded by the belief of those people. Cornelius was one of these types of people who believed that the Jewish God, our God, may be the one true and only God. So Cornelius has a vision in this story. It says, About the ninth hour of the day he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius. And he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, Your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who is called Peter. So God sends an angel to Cornelius and tells him to send some of his men to collect Peter. Now, it's amazing when we read this story that we don't wonder, why didn't the angel just witness to Cornelius, right? So, God, what is God telling him to send for man, to send for Peter? Why not just have this amazing, powerful angel do all the work? Because the angel's assignment wasn't to spread the gospel. This is the assignment of the disciples and all of us. See, God has the power to send angels to do His work, but this is a reminder to all of it that this is not His divine plan. His plan is that all of us be witnesses. Because here's the truth. While an angel is powerful and amazing, God would rather our experiences, our faults, our history, and our redemption be the true witness to the power of Christ. We're flawed and beautiful, and God wants that to be the true evidence of His grace. He wants us to use our shared experience to help us move together. Now the next day, Peter's staying with a friend, and he goes up on the housetop to pray. So Peter's up there, and he starts getting hungry. I think we can all relate to that. You go out to do something, you're trying to focus on it, and then your belly starts grumbling. So he's hungry, and at this moment he has a vision. Here's what it says. He fell into a trance and saw the heavens open and something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And there came a voice to him, Rise, Peter, kill and eat. But Peter said, By no means, Lord. For I've never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him again a second time. What God has made clean do not call common. You see, this vision is addressing an issue that Peter had as a devout Jew. He was not permitted to eat certain foods because they were considered unclean. Remember, those were the foods we previously talked about as foods that was not fit for for a Jew to eat. God is basically pointing to Peter to say that God has made all things, and he can make all things clean. Now, if you like literature and movies, you would love this idea because it's strong foreshadowing. This is foreshadowing to what is about to happen with Peter and Cornelius. At this point in the story, the three men Cornelius sent for Peter show up, and the Holy Spirit again speaks to Peter and tells him to go with them. Now, when he enters the home of the centurion, a bunch of people start gathering. And then Peter acknowledges that, that what's happening right now would probably be pretty unacceptable in Jewish custom. Here's what it says, picking up in verse 28. You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why you sent for me? Peter ends this section by asking Cornelius, why did you send for me? And so he shares with Peter the vision that he had. Now at this point, Peter realizes that God has made this happen. He's pushing Peter to complete the assignment. Peter had been standing still for a long time, and now he realizes that God's vision was far bigger than anything he could have imagined. Remember, the big idea today is movements move when we follow God's vision. Peter's coming to terms with the fact that God has not called him to one set of people. The vision about the food was God's way of showing Peter that Jesus made all things clean. Picking up in verse 34, Peter says, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation anyone who fears Him and does what is right is acceptable to Him. Peter knows that this is about expanding our circles of impact. Just like he was called to preach to all people, we have a duty as well to use our talents in our work, home, community, or just throughout the world to spread the good news of Jesus. We have to be praying for souls. It's our job. He goes on to talk about Jesus and His death and the resurrection. And then in verse 43 we read, Everyone who believes in Him receives forgiveness of sins through His name. There it is. Peter says it and we need to hear it. Everyone who believes in Jesus will receive forgiveness. For ten years the movement was only half-moving. Now the movement was actually going at the pace God had always intended. It was time to expand their circles of impact. Where have you seen or heard something you believe God wanted you to do, but you didn't? Just like Peter and the other Christians, you may be struggling with acting because of your prejudice and fear. Maybe you've been called to talk to a friend, but you're afraid it might mean they won't talk to you anymore. Maybe you're called to reach out to the man begging for money, but your fear of what he might do makes you too afraid to even look at him. You might be called to serve women who are considering ending a pregnancy, but your judgment of their choices makes you struggle to show them real love. Maybe there's a neighbor that doesn't look like you, and your bias has made it difficult for you to be a witness for Christ. Hear what I said above. Everyone gets the same grace, Don't let fear or prejudice stand in the way of God's movement. Today, we see two stories with four different characters. In one story, we see a man, Saul, who hated Christians. He hated them because they challenged his history. They challenged everything he'd been taught. He hated them because their Messiah didn't line up with his laws. He wanted to stand in the way of God's vision. Is this you? Are you constantly looking at the rules of Christianity and wanting people to measure up? Are you stuck believing that those people who don't follow the rules have no place hearing the words of Jesus? To you, maybe being good is more important than grace. You see, Jesus has other plans. He told Saul to believe. He asked Saul to put his faith in him. And when Saul did this, his eyes were opened, and he became one of the most powerful tools for the Christian faith. A man who at one time would have never thought of talking to, touching, or associating with Gentiles became what may be the primary vessel for which God spoke to the Gentile nations. Movements move when we follow God's vision. In the same story, we see another man, Ananias, who didn't want to help someone who hated him. He knew the danger that Saul once caused, and he was okay with letting his soul go because of his past. And maybe this is you. Maybe you've been hurt before, and as a result, you don't want to share the gospel with anyone who is part of a certain group. Or maybe you look at people who've messed up and think, they don't deserve the same grace I received. I mean, look at what they did. You look at people with sordid pasts or who come from a different life as you, and, and you struggle to see past their scars. Jesus has other plans. The Holy Spirit told Ananias that he had plans for this man. He pushed him forward and Ananias listened. And as a result, he was the man who led Paul to the full life God had intended for him. Movements move when we follow God's vision. In the next story, we see a third man, Cornelius, who who wasn't sure what he believed. He'd seen so many gods and answers and he was just looking for the right path. He was searching for full life, but, but he couldn't find it. And this could be you today. You might be a respected, well-to-do, and honored person, but but underneath, you're searching for more. You look put together, and and you seem to have all the answers, but inside your heart, you know that your life feels empty. And you may not even feel like you're any of those things, but you just may feel lost and scared, and your life seems to be on a one-way path to nowhere. Wherever you are, know that Jesus has other plans for you. He wants full life for you. He wants to help you realize your identity as his son or daughter. Take the step. Believe in Jesus. Be baptized and start living your life for him. Don't let your past or your fear stand in the way. Movements move when we follow God's vision. Finally, we see the last man, Peter, who'd been trying to follow the assignment given to him, but he was stuck. He was stuck in his prejudice towards a set of people, and he was standing in the way of the movement God was trying to make happen. Now, this might be you. You might believe that, that you're only called to, to share your news with a certain type of person. Your vision is to talk to people who look, talk, act, and believe what you believe. Anyone else is just there, and you avoid taking the good news of Jesus' sacrifice to them. Listen to me real close here. If you think you're meant to share the good news with one set of people, or you believe you're not meant to share it with a certain set of people, in both cases, you're wrong. Jesus has other plans for us. He wants us to expand our circles of impact. He wants us to share the good news with everyone we see. Friends, neighbors, coworkers, other students, other parents, our enemies, and even those people who call us names. Don't let your fear of differences stand in the way of the amazing and powerful plan God has. Movements move when we follow God's vision. No matter who you relate to in this story, the most important thing to remember today is that everyone matters to Jesus. You, me, everyone. There is no single group of people who God says is more important or more worthy of his grace. When Jesus chose to take that cross, he chose to do that for all who would believe it. Jesus said this, I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and he will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. See, Jesus wants us all to have full life, and this is where we're going as a church. I mean, when we open those doors of our new Ross facility, we're gonna be reaching out to those people who don't look and act like us. We're gonna be providing support for families who need love. We're gonna be training our people to move out into the world. But even more important, White Oak, as a whole, both campuses should be realizing that our full life is not happening because we walk in these doors. Now, Jesus opened the door for all of us and it's been left open for each of us to enter. But for us to do this, for us to become part of the movement we started 2,000 years ago, we are challenged to move. Together, we can expand our circles of impact and take the vision of God out into the whole world.